Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Village Church. If this is your first time here, my name is Steve, one of the pastors here at Village Church. And as always, I am thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you. I see that some of you just wore regular shirts, <laughs> inferior shirts. Tells me a lot about you. And hopefully by the end, you will feel sinful. <laughs> and you will repent. That's my prayer. I'm enjoying all the tacky sweaters. This isn't a tacky sweater. It's just a sweater that I wear every day that I'm not here. We are in the thick of the Christmas season. So I hope that your decorations are up. If they're not, what's your problem? I hope that the Christmas movies are rolling. Should have watched Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2 by now. Uh, some of you have seen a lot of single lawyers from Connecticut return to a farm where they find love with a handyman. Seems impossible because it is. Uh, but that movie will be on all day, every day, all week, into the new year. So, so I hope that you are getting your fill of Christmas movies. I hope that you're beginning to wrap gifts. I hope you are preparing for Santa coming. But this year as a church, we have decided to focus on the realization that Christmas is the light of God entering into the darkness of a sinful world. The birth of Jesus Christ is about God invading this sinful world with the hope of salvation. You know, from our perspective, from the Christian perspective, Christmas is a uniquely Christian holiday, regardless of what anybody would claim. This is the season that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And I believe because of that fact, that every single Christmas should literally be the best Christmas ever. Now, I know that's a dangerous statement, and I don't mean that you need to try to one-up yourself every year, as some of you are going to try. What I'm talking about is the fact that every single year, the reality of the birth and life of Jesus Christ should become sweeter and sweeter to your soul. And because of that, every year you should grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. And as you grow in your faith in Jesus Christ, every Christmas when you enter into the reality that God became man in order that we might be the bride of Christ, in order that we might be reconciled to God, that should become a sweeter reality to you. Therefore, as we get older, Christmas should be more and more joyful to us because God wants you to have joy through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And of course, I think that's especially true this time of year. But the problem with most of us is that when we were younger, we had a lot of joy about Christmas. But as we age, most of us tend to be less and less joyful, even this time of year. Kids love Christmas. I mean, kids should love Christmas. If you're the type of parent that tries to get your child to not like Christmas, what's wrong with you? I've seen some parents try to kind of downplay it, maybe it's because you had a bad year financially, but don't do that. Let them have that joy. But the fact is, is that their level of joy should impact your level of joy and should be a conviction so that you can become more and more joyful. Everything about Christmas is awesome to a child, but because adulthood brings various responsibilities in various circumstances, maybe you're in a place right now where you're just overwhelmed. Maybe you're in a place where you're stressed out. Maybe you're in a place where whatever it is is going on in the world, it's affecting your joy. It's bringing you down. 
You know nothing but anxiety every single day. When you're getting ready for work, you're entering into the worst day of your life. Maybe you're sick. Maybe a loved one is experiencing an illness, and you're just trying to get through Christmas without anybody asking you the dreaded question, how are you doing? Fine, fine, fine. And you might lie. You might just try to pass it by, but maybe you're not doing okay this Christmas. Well, the plea that I'm going to have for you, and I want to argue with you a little bit, is that I want to talk to you this morning about regardless of the circumstance that you're going through, regardless of the stress, regardless of the pain, regardless of whether you're overwhelmed with life, regardless of what anxieties you're going through, I want to argue for your joy this morning. I want to argue with you this morning and make the argument that in spite of your circumstances and in light of the God of your circumstances, this should be a year of remarkable joy for your life, whatever it is that you're, en you're enduring. Mary is the lens that I want to look at Christmas through this morning. She experienced difficult circumstances because of the birth of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we experience difficult circumstances because of this, that, or the other thing, because of sin. But if you look at the life of Mary, much like the life of Joseph, but even magnified, Joseph could have walked away. Mary didn't have that option. Mary was just in the moment where the angel comes to her and says, you will bear a child. You will conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will have God the Son. You will have the Messiah. In that moment, Mary is having a difficult circumstance because of the birth of Jesus Christ. But without the right perspective, without, without the right posture, Mary could have easily walked through that season of her life disgruntled. She could have walked through that season of her life completely overwhelmed. She could have walked through that season of her life resenting the greatest move of God that this world has ever known. But the scripture tells us she had great joy. I want to look at Mary's response in Luke chapter 1. And I want to start reading in verse 46. Now, this is a song that the Holy Spirit inspired Mary to write in response to being pregnant with the Messiah. In verse 46 of Luke 1, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those in humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. This text really gives us three realities about the Christmas season that bring Mary joy because of the light of God coming into her life. The first reality is that Christmas is a season of God's glory. Christmas is a season of God's glory. And really what you see in this text from the very outset in verse 46 is that Mary was kind of centering her life and attention and affection on the glory of God. Too many of us want to be the center of attention. 
Many of you are going to be disappointed next Saturday on December 25th because someone didn't pay as much attention to the gift that they got you as you want them to. Or you gave a gift to someone, you're like, best gift ever, home run, touchdown, Super Bowl champ right here of gift giving. She or he or the child or whoever, they're going to weep. Oh, just tears of joy. And you give them the gift and they look at it and like, that's nice. And so you're the one that weeps in the bathroom alone because they didn't like your gift. Well, that's because you want to be in that moment the center of attention. Mary is going to give birth to the Son of God and she could have said, but I can't have a child, Joseph and I haven't done that. Or she could have also said, ain't I great? I mean, I'm the chosen one. I am going to give birth to the Messiah. Is that how Mary responds? Mary responds by saying, my soul, verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. That word for magnified is literally the same word as glory. Saying, I glory in the God who has brought this into my life. What's fascinating about this is from our perspective, we look at Mary as though she is blessed, and she was, but we need to consider how unusual these circumstances were for her, just like we did for Joseph last Sunday. This could have and did ruin her reputation with some people. I don't know if you know this, but if you go around telling people that the baby you're carrying is literally the Son of God, most people will think you're nuts. Most people will not believe you. And I have to assume that Mary dealt with that. Scripture doesn't really tell us, but I have to assume people thought bad things about Mary. I have to assume people thought sinful things about Mary. I have to assume that some people probably look at Mary and think to themselves, Mary has lost it with the claim that she's making about this child. And so Mary, though, from that moment, knowing that the circumstances of her life are going to be completely thrown off balance, she looks to God and she says, my soul magnifies you. I want to give you glory in this moment. We know because of Luke 1.34 that that wasn't her immediate response. Her immediate response to the angel was how? Which is a good response. It's like, mm, I know how this works. I've had the talk with my parents. And that's not what happened. This wasn't what she was expecting. Mary was not raised to expect to give birth to the Messiah. Her reputation ruined. Her family could have cast her out. Her marriage could have been over with Joseph. And more and more and more. But Mary, once she had settled in her mind, this is the truth. She trusted God when her situation could have overwhelmed her with despair. Mary was not an old woman at this point. She was a very young woman, immature about life, never been married, never raised a child before. She could have easily looked at this moment and just been so wrought with anxiety that she lost all faith. But in this moment, she could have easily seen this as a dark moment in her life, but this song that she writes tells us that she had the faith to understand that the light of God was invading the darkness of sin, even in her own life. And that is why, here's the deal, friends, attitude is everything. 
Attitude is everything. Mary had an attitude of faith. I often don't. I'm going to make the assumption that some of you don't as well. Some of you have a bad attitude when life doesn't go the way that you want it to go. Some of you have a bad attitude when the coffee's cold. Some of you have a bad attitude when Starbucks gets your order wrong. Some of you have a bad attitude when dinner is going to be an extra 15 minutes tonight. Some of you have an even worse attitude when the response is, make it yourself. (laughs) Some of you, though, you look at that stuff and you say, that's minor compared to what I'm actually going through. That's minor compared to the pain that I'm actually dealing with with the despair that I'm actually feeling. You don't know the suffering that I'm actually enduring this year. And you're right, I don't. But I know because of narrative after narrative after narrative of suffering in Scripture, about moments like this where a person could literally despair for their very lives, I know that the response in these narratives where people of faith in the moment that could easily be the worst moment of anyone's life, the reaction of God through this, I hope to glorify you, must serve as a rebuke to the attitude that we often carry through life where we feel sorry for ourselves, where we despair because God isn't writing the story that we told him to write, that we prayed for him to write. Well, Mary's story is ruined and her immediate response is, I glorify the God who brought this upon me. What's your attitude right now? This isn't the only place in Scripture where we see this type of thing. In Habakkuk chapter 3, we see an interesting perspective. It's only three chapters. You should read it when you get home if you've never read it before. But God looks to the prophet Habakkuk and gives him all bad news. Because of Israel's sin, a more sinful nation was going to be brought by God to overwhelm Israel, to defeat Israel, to bring captivity into Israel's life. And Habakkuk makes a mistake. He tries to argue with God. I don't know if you know this, but you lose that 10 times out of 10. God never loses an argument. He's my hero. But God looks to Habakkuk and says, sit down write the prophecy, I'm going to school you, son. And he does. And Habakkuk repents. And this is what Habakkuk says about the doom that is going to come upon Israel. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive field, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. What he's saying is, even if we face hunger, even if everything goes wrong, verse 18, yet I will what? Rejoice in the Lord. What Habakkuk is saying is, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God gives Habakkuk very bad news. And God tells Habakkuk, you got to trust me. You got to trust me. And Habakkuk says, I will. Psalm 34, 2 through 3, David writes, that the boast from the core of who he is is pointing to God. He says, magnify the Lord with me in verse 3 and let us do what? Exalt his name 
together. Note the attitude behind both of these passages. They flow from lives that are focused on what God deserves rather than what I deserve. David faced many moments in his life where he could have said, God, how could you bring me into the middle of this? I've trusted you, and it's not going the way that I wanted it to. And David looks to God and he says, I will rejoice in you. I want to magnify your name. I want to bring you glory. This perspective can only come from faith in God. It is a trust in God that he is working every circumstance to show his worth and value and finding joy in him. Therefore, the perspective of faith cannot be, well, if my life were better, I could give God glory, but not this year. It can't be that. That's not faith. The perspective must be, God, you are with me in the middle of this Therefore, I will try to show how great you are in every moment that I'm enduring this hardship, in every moment I'm enduring this pleasant part of my life, in every moment I'm enduring the worst part of my life, in every moment where I can't imagine it getting any worse than this. I must look to God and say, God, I know you have a purpose. I know you will bring yourself glory because you've proven it by sending your son into the world to save me. God will not abandon you. He has not abandoned you. He's with you in every moment of darkness, promising that even when you can't see the light, it's there. Even when you can't see the light, it is enduring. That is what Mary wanted magnified through her life. Secondly, Christmas is a season of God's mercy. Christmas is a season of God's mercy. Attitude is everything, but the posture that you take is what develops your attitude. It's what develops your attitude. Here's what I mean by that. Mary's praise in this text flows, at least in part, from an understanding of who she is in light of who God is. Do you understand who you are in light of who God is? You see, in verse 49... Mary makes the statement about God's holy nature. See, God is completely free from sin. He is separate from and exalted above Mary. She says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Great things. Mary looks at her life and she says, every moment, a moment of God's power Every moment, a moment of God's mercy. I haven't deserved a minute of happiness in my life. I haven't worshiped God enough to deserve the joy that I've had. Therefore, how could I despair in this moment? Where I know he's merciful, but then she looks and she says, and the reason for this, holy is his name. Sin cannot be in the presence of God. Therefore, anything that he brings into your life is touched by his holiness. Mary does not view herself as deserving. She doesn't view herself as like, I'm so good that I deserve good things from God. Have you been there? I have. I've had moments of hardship. I've had moments of suffering. I've had moments where things didn't turn out the way that I thought they would. And you know, can I be honest with you? Is this a safe place? I know it's not. Some of you aren't going to like it. But have you ever been in a place where you've looked at God and said, God, I don't think I deserve this. 
I think I deserve better. Haven't I done enough? Didn't I have enough quiet times? Didn't I pray enough? Didn't I go to church enough? Didn't I do enough to deserve an easier life? I've argued with God like that. But that's not what I'm seeing from Mary. She could have done that. She says, I don't deserve this. Doesn't some other girl in Israel deserve this? I wanted something that was going to be a little bit easier. I wanted a normal life. I didn't even ask to be spectacular. I just wanted to blend in. I just wanted a little bit of leisure, Lord. Mary looks at it. She says, every moment of happiness, every event of joy is a grace of God. Mary understands that she does not deserve the light of God in her life much less does she deserve this specific light that would become the light of the world. Jesus was going to save us. God gives Mary a very inconvenient gift. She's chosen by God to give birth to Jesus. Now, some believe that this is because of Mary's perfection and holiness that the Catholic Church preaches. They're completely wrong. The reason that I say that they're wrong is this can't be the case because that wasn't Mary's perspective. Jesus gave that perspective about himself. He says, I am who I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He's saying, I'm God. Mary doesn't respond and say, yes, Lord, because of my perfect obedience, this is what's happening. Now, Mary in the Magnificent, she talks about the mercy of God in her life. Her response in this text is, God has mercy on those who, who fear him. The only significant thing that Mary looks in her life is she says, I fear you. I know who I am in light of who you are. You are holy. You are strong. You are God. Mary was none of those things and she knew it. She says, because of your mercy that this has happened in my life. It's not Mary's perfection. It's God's perfect grace. She has faith in God not in herself. Some of you, your faith does not go beyond you. You try to have faith in yourself and your ability and your power and what you can make. Friend, you don't understand who God is. The greatest faith you have in your life is what you can achieve. If you live by your achievements Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but there's going to come a point where you are not enough. You need more. That's what Mary is giving us. She's saying there is a God who is involved. The text reveals that God is not looking for people of great might and stature. God doesn't need me. God has never been impressed by me. When you have that posture in your life, the posture of Mary where you get over yourself and you look to God and you look at how great He is, that will open the door to God doing things in your life. That opens the door of you just being able to see the power of God in your life. It's not a hocus-pocus magic thing where you conjure up God's activity. No, the reality is God is active. God is moving. And when you posture yourself in submission to Him, your eyes are open to the things that God is already doing, but you couldn't get past you to see it. God opens your eyes to His amazing work in your life. But you must see that both the comfortable and the uncomfortable things of this life 
are from the work of God to bring himself glory and to bless you with eternity. Both of them are. You must trust that God has brought whatever is going on in your life right now to show his power and holiness. And I'll be honest, that is harder some days than it is other days. Some days you wake up and it's David facing Goliath. Give me five rocks. Give me a water pistol. I'm going to go chase Satan down. The other days you wake up and you feel closer to Peter denying Jesus. Some days you wake up and you think if they had offered me 30 pieces of silver in this moment, I may have really done what Judas did. But the reality is, is that is why you need the mercy of God. You can't do it. You can't earn God's favor. You can't earn God's blessing. You can't earn anything from God. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that He gives it. He gives it. He gives it. He's gracious. He's merciful. You think you're hiding your sin from Him? You think you're hiding your pride from Him? You think you're hiding the fact that you're trying so hard to be self-sufficient from the Lord? He sees you for who you are, and He still says, Come, there is grace in my Son for you. And when you submit, when you take the posture of need from God, that is where the attitude that Mary has in this passage goes through. Look in Psalm 138.6. It says, Though the Lord is high... He regards the lowly, but the haughty, he knows from afar. Now, I know haughty is a word that you use every single day. It's another word for pride, basically. Lowly is a word for humility. Some of us, we see ourselves as lowly, therefore, we don't deserve the blessings of God. And so that keeps us at a distance from God because we know our sin, we know who God is, but we don't believe God is loving enough to break through to our lives. We don't deserve the forgiveness of God. Friend, it says that God is close to the lowly. I don't care what sin you are dealing with, God has mercy for you. God has grace for you. God has forgiveness for you. When Jesus paid the price on the cross, he paid it all. Turn from your sin. Trust the gospel of Jesus Christ. But note the prideful. He knows them from afar because they think they deserve the world. They think that they're the best. They think that they don't have any need. When that's the posture you take in life, you are distancing yourself from the very God you need salvation from. You don't have it all together. You can't do it all. The lie that many of us believe is that we don't need the grace of God. Friend, you need the grace of God. The inconvenient gift of Jesus must be received with great joy and worship. And Mary does that because she trusts in God's great power rather than her own. She trusts the perfect plan of God, regardless of how it ruins her plans. But thirdly, Christmas is a season of God's faithfulness. It's a season of God's faithfulness. From verses 52 through 55, it's as if Mary purposefully transitions to prove a case that she has been building. She talks about God's glory. She talks about God's mercy. While she's talking about mercy, she says he's holy, he's strong, he can do great things. That's what's going on in my life. But then it's almost as if she presupposes that someone may retort 
That's great and all, Mary. That's your experience. It's what we do now. We look at life only through individual experience, only through what's happening to me, and we look at it and say, but you don't know what it's like for this, that, the other thing to be true of you. You don't know what it's like to walk a mile in my shoes and don't act like you can. So Mary transitions and she starts pointing backwards. And she says, look at the history of what God has done. She says, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. She's pointing to the history of Israel. She says, he has exalted those who people looked at and say, well, you're not special. You know, that was the chief, and we can't imagine it, but that was the chief statement about Samuel, a prophet, to King David. That short guy? Nah, he's not going to be the king. We got a tall king. We need a tall guy. He's impressive. God says, yeah, the short guy, the shepherd, that one. He says, God will take the one that looks so unimpressive. I mean, look at the life of Jesus Christ. He took a bunch of fishermen. And he raised them up to be the apostles. He says, God has a way, Paul says this, of taking the foolishness of the world and confounding the wise. Why does God do that? Because God wants to show his power. He doesn't want to show how impressive you are. He wants to show how impressive he is. He says, he's filled the hungry with good things. The rich, he's sent them away empty. He doesn't play by the rules of this world. Why does Mary say things like that? Because she wants to point to history and say, this isn't just my experience, this is the activity of God. But she's also looking at it from her perspective and saying there are going to be people that say, a virgin can't have a baby. And to that, she responds, God doesn't always play by the rules of the world. He does the magnificent, He does the extraordinary, He does the supernatural. He's helped His servant Israel in remembrance of of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. What Mary is saying in this passage, and I love this about the passage because I love the narratives of the Old Testament. Mary is saying all the way back in Genesis 12, God made a promise to a man named Abraham that his descendants would bless the families of the earth, that his descendants would outnumber the nation. That's what's happening through this child. That is what the birth of my son will fulfill. The Abrahamic covenant forever. Friends, many people struggle to trust God and find joy in that trust because you simply ignore the history of God. You ignore it. There are moments in life where all you can see in front of you is what you are enduring right now. But God has not left us ignorant of how He has worked the entire history of the world. And in the hardest moments, and I think this wasn't necessarily an easy moment for Mary. Mary says, I need a reminder, and so does everyone around me, of how God has been working so that in this moment, I will trust that he is working. Friends, God is faithful to bless those who trust him.
I'm not pleading for you to muster up strength. I'm not pleading for you to just be encouraged because a better day is coming. No, I am pleading with you to believe that there's blessing and faithfulness to God. Micah was a prophet during another hard time in Israel. I don't know if you know this or not, but there were a lot of hard times in Israel. In Micah 7, this is what the prophet says. In a very hard moment of his life, he says, As for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy, when I fall. I shall rise. And I love this part. When I sit in the darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Are you sitting in the darkness this morning? You're not alone. There is a history of the people of God where they sat in darkness after darkness after darkness. And faith was the reality that in that darkness they said, the glory of the Lord, the mercy of God, the faithfulness of God to His promises will see me through. The enemy, he may proclaim victory over you in a moment. And you may feel defeat. But if you will trust God, that defeat is not ultimate, friend. You are not destroyed. You cannot be destroyed by the enemy because the light of the Lord is eternal. It's forever. Mary's child, Jesus, was the salvation of the people of God. And every moment of your life, both the good and the bad, I will tell you, stand as opportunities for you to exhibit the faith that Mary exhibited when God turned her life upside down to bring salvation to His people. Friend, you should not have joy in spite of your circumstances. You should have joy in the God of your circumstances. He's not abandoned you. He's with you. He's there. He's bringing light into your life. Every moment of your life is an opportunity to learn about yourself. But it's a greater opportunity to learn about God. Christmas is, and I want you to understand this, it is about the joy of knowing that the light of God always triumphs over the darkness of sin. Every year it will take faith for you to trust that. Some years it will take more. But that's the same as every moment of every season. I love the way she begins in verse 46 where she just simply states, my soul magnifies the Lord. I hope that you can say that in truth. But friend, you must build the kind of trust it takes to say that in every moment. Enjoy God, trust God, follow Jesus, and live a life of joy. A few application points. First, fight to have joy in God. Fight for it. It's not always easy. It's not always easy. You must fight for it. Sometimes the darkness feels like it's never going to lift. Sometimes the darkness feels like it's only there, but respond like Micah. I know that even in the darkness, the light of the Lord is upon me. 
Secondly, because of Jesus, every circumstance will glorify God. I don't know if you know this, but at the end of the story, Jesus is killed, and then he just gets back up. He's like, I won't stay dead. I don't want to. I like that power. I want that strength. I want that in my life. And Jesus says, you can have it. Just trust. Just trust. Thirdly, live to enjoy God's mercy. Over the next week, pay attention enough to enjoy the moments, to enjoy what's going on around you, and then realize every moment of happiness is the mercy of God. Every moment. Fourthly, take every moment to learn about God's faithfulness. I hope that like Mary looks at the history of Israel, you look at the history of Scripture and say, those are going to be the bedrocks of my faith, the fact that God has moved. But you also need to build a resume of faith. I've talked about this before. You need to, in moments where you see the hand of God in your life, you need to look at those moments and take a mental picture. Say, i got to remember this moment because a hard time is coming. It's around the corner. It always is. But in those hard times, I want to remember this moment because this is when God worked. Because every moment I remember that God worked, it gives me hope that He's going to work again. And He is. But then, number next, finally. The enemy may proclaim victory. And he might convince you of that lie for a second. You may say, it's over. I'm sunk. I got nothing else. That's the enemy proclaiming victory over you. But Jesus will prevail. The enemy is a liar. He is defeated. He can't win. Jesus rose from the dead. He will return again. God is so good.